The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Michael Bolick, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for February 10th, 2021. This is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, on the road. Uh, I have decamped to Austin, Texas. Uh, We will be relocating here this year. That much is certain, Uh, so we are looking... Uh, for exactly where that will be. Hopefully more news on that as uh, uh, time moves on. But for the interim, both for Wednesday show, today's show, and for Friday show, I'm not going to be in studio. I'm going to be out here at the Seven Acre Schwood, the, the compound built by Brian Brushwood with uh, Modern Rogue and, and all the other Various projects, including Night Attack, which I do with him every Tuesday. So I'm out here at a lovely picnic table. It's a little chillier in Austin. I, I was I was very much expecting for Austin to be a little bit, a little bit warmer. But holy smokes, as I speak to you right now, it is around two o'clock in the afternoon, and this some bitch ain't even breaking uh, sixty degrees. Freezing here. My good God. I'm out here in a jacket. I thought it was going to be... I thought this was Texas. I thought this was hot. It's not hot. I guess it's mid-February. Literally the coldest month of the year. Oh, well. We've got a lot to talk about today, including the unfolding to impeachment, to furious Senate trial of Donald J. Trump. We've got opening arguments. But really what I want to do for you today is just decode what people want out of this. And they really fall into three camps. The Democrats all want the same thing, but the Republicans, well, they kind of uh, fall into two different camps. And many of them have their eyes on 2024. We will also take a focus on Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, and the one-man veto in the delicate 50-50 Senate split between the Republicans and Democrats with the Kamala, Har- uh, the Kamala Harris uh, tiebreaker. And we are going to uh, wrap up this podcast, perhaps poetically so, as I am in Texas talking about moving with a discussion about the possible California recall of Gavin Newsom. What is a recall? How do recalls uh, normally play out throughout the country? Why does California have such a rich and colorful history of governors uh, being recalled? And the origins of the current campaign whether or not Gavin Newsom will indeed face a recall vote this fall. All of that explained. But first. Senators. The president was impeached by the U.S. House of Representatives on January 13th for doing that. You ask what a high crime and misdemeanor is under our Constitution? That's a high crime and misdemeanor. If that's not an impeachable offense, then there is no such thing. Those are the sounds of the opening arguments being made on Tuesday for the uh, Senate impeachment trial of Donald Trump. 
the second of his one-term presidency, although technically I guess we've gone into overtime. It is bonus hockey. I don't know exactly how much we want to get into the minutiae of what's going to happen throughout the trial. The basic facts of the matter are clear. You either believe that Donald Trump incited an insurrection and tried to subvert the democratic will of the populace, or you believe that he was not going any farther than other people who have challenged the results of elections in the past, up to and including his own in 2016. And no matter how ugly it was, he's still protected by the free by by the First Amendment, and he shouldn't have even he shouldn't be facing this trial because you can't impeach a private citizen. And that's what Trump is now, a private citizen. So like we often do here on this show, I'm going to try to take my view of what the power players in the Senate are really thinking about. Because let's be clear, Donald Trump will not be convicted. It simply is not going to happen. But let's take a look. The Democratic side. The Democrats are simple. They would like to convict Donald Trump and then, metaphorically, carry his head through the streets of Liberalville. Progressive and centrist alike will toast to their victory. And they know that that can't happen. They don't have the votes. But here's what they're really thinking, at least in terms of the leadership. Because remember, they are in charge of Congress. They've got the slimmest of all leads in the Senate. And Nancy Pelosi has a slimmer than she had before, but still a lead in the House. So the real question that they are thinking of is can they do two things at once? Can they run a doomed impeachment trial and a tricky reconciliation budget maneuver for COVID-19 relief and the fight for $15 minimum wage and the child tax credit. As you might pick up there, there are a lot of things that need to get done. And no matter what, by the end of whatever happens with this reconciliation maneuver, someone on the Democratic side is going to be upset. So will blame ultimately fall on impeachment? Unlikely, because impeachment's very popular amongst Democrats. Will the criticism then fall on the only other place that it can? On Chuck Schumer. Well, you know, in in the uh, uh, doth protest too much file, we have this quote from Chuck. To the pundits who say we can't do both at once, we say you are wrong. We can and we are. Whether they call witnesses or not, whether there is a vote or not, we will continue to get our work done. This was, to me, such an impressive array of people and issues and just exhibit A that we can do all three things at once and we are. Okay. Sir, this is a Wendy's. The reality is this trial can be done on Sunday or Monday, so it shouldn't stretch all that much further outside of this work week, or at least into the next. But should Republicans or Democrats vote to include witnesses, it will definitely go further. And beyond the grandstanding and holding Trump accountable, the biggest liability for the Democrats is stretching this too long. And for the impeachment trial of Donald Trump to become a scapegoat for the lack of progress on something else. And that would leave many on the Democratic side pretty blue. I'm blue. I'm indeed, I'm-
You know, I once heard a story in college about this song. Story goes that as an initiation, sororities would force pledges to take a shot of alcohol every time the word blue got said. You know, uh, I don't know if it's true. In fact, I, I don't think it really is true because I'm pretty sure you die. Eiffel 65 says blue 26 times in this song. And 21 shots of alcohol in a four-hour period is enough to poison you, let alone the four-minute and 43-second runtime of this song. So that would mean you'd be taking one shot every 11 seconds or so. That's a lot. And Republicans are going to match or exceed that pace once every 11 seconds, in my opinion, with another word, unconstitutional. Many of you might be wondering why Mitch McConnell, who led the charge to distance establishment Republicans from Trump and backed Liz Cheney's impeachment vote against Trump, found common ground with people like Josh Hawley who pressed with his election challenge even after the January 6th riots. And the reason is they both could agree on the unconstitutional loophole. It's not that Trump did or didn't incite a riot or start an insurrection or inappropriately conjoled a Georgia Secretary of State. All of those questions are beyond one Simple threshold. You can't remove a private citizen from the office of the president because he isn't president anymore. Unlike the last impeachment, when the GOP could pretty much all rally behind a singular cause, aside from Mittens voting for one of the impeachment articles and not the other, there are even more divergent paths for the Republican senators this time, and specifically those that are angling for the presidency in 2024. On the side that desperately wants to either gain Trump's vote of confidence and or gain a share of Trump's audience They believe that the future of the party is in the dive bar and not the country club. They they very much believe that they want to continue to to speak to the issues that uh, built Donald Trump's coalition in in 2020. They just want to take away some of the uh, things that alienated suburban women and white men. Those guys, Ted Cruz, Hawley, and Florida Senator Rick Scott. None of them really want to tie themselves to the riots because that does alienate those suburban Republicans. But none of them want to piss off that base, that base that earned Big Chungus the second most votes in presidential history. That's a big number. But on the other side, you've got the anti-Trump crowd that didn't vote for this trial being unconstitutional. And that's a short list. Romney, Ben Sass, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and Pat Toomey. Let's go through all of them. Toomey's retiring, so he's doing whatever he wants. Collins and Murkowski are the mavericks that we've, we've seen go back and forth on this stuff through, uh, uh, you know, the last four years. Romney, Gunnar Romney. Ben Sass is the interesting one because he is the only amongst those five that has telegraphed a run for the presidency. In fact, he even criticized his party for the weird worship of one dude. You are welcome to censure me again, but let's be clear about why this is happening. It's because I still believe, as you used to, that politics 
isn't about the weird worship of one dude. But does that mean he will vote to convict? A reminder that Donald Trump is still 85% popular within the Republican Party. So even if you want to distance yourself from him, there is a political value in doing it smartly. Can somebody like Ben Sass find a reason to not vote to convict? Can he find other reasons that he would say Donald Trump is odious enough? I just didn't feel that the facts of this case merited that decision. Or does Sass want to rip the Band-Aid off now? Define himself by fighting Trump. Now, the thing that connects everybody that I have just talked about Schumer, the Democrats, McConnell, Hawley, Cruz, Rubio, Rick Scott, Ben Sass, Lisa Murkowski, is that nobody really stands to gain by stringing this thing out. I would expect it to end Sunday or Monday. With the only real question here being how many of those five GOP vote to convict. What's also interesting is what happens after that. Remember back to the last remaining hours of the Trump presidency. When we were wondering exactly who Donald Trump would pardon. One of the rumors was that a lot of the totally out there pardons were not going to be successful because Trump knew that the more he pushed it, the more he might lose support from Republican senators in this impeachment trial. Whether or not you believe that, I think that there is ample reason to believe that Donald Trump wants this to be over so he can resume business as usual. I think we are going to see a reemergence of Donald Trump when he is voted not guilty in this Senate trial. I believe we are going to see more of private citizen Trump than even candidate or president Trump. I believe he is going to use his email list as his primary notification. I believe that once this storm of Dam- sword of Damocles has been removed from his head, Trump will punish those he, be- those he believes has wronged him from January until now. And those that vote to convict will be at the top of his list. That being said, you know, people are are currently having a lot of fun talking about the presentation of evidence and the lack of competence from Trump's attorney. But this entire process feels a little superb. This entire process feels a little superfluous to me. I mean, even Joe Biden isn't watching it. He told reporters he'd rather do his job. All power is future power. And for Donald Trump and everybody who is looking to punish him, unfortunately, we are in the deepest valley that we will see for Trump's future power. He hasn't yet become a threat to run for president again. And he just left the office a few weeks ago. We will see how things play out past here. Because while this feels like the end of the end, what happens in terms of his public profile past that Sunday or Monday 
could very much mean that this is the beginning of the beginning. All right, this isn't going to be a long segment. I, I literally just want to kind of open a tab for you guys because I, I, I really think that no matter how big of a noise this impeachment thing makes, the real story here is what's happening with the budget reconciliation. Joe Biden indicated that the $15 minimum wage was not going to survive. The House Progressive Caucus decided to put it back into the bill when they got their turn at it. And now you are really starting to see the rubber hit the road in terms of some of the rivalries between those on the right and, or sorry, those in the center and on the left. Although I'm sure if you ask the people in the Progressive Caucus, the centrists are far more to the right than they would be comfortable with. But still... One man stands at the center of it. He has been the loudest. He is Joe Manchin. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has said that in a European system with many more parties, her and Joe Manchin would never share the same letter after their name, and yet they are both in the Democratic Party. So what I want you guys to think about is this question. Will Manchin snap? Is there a moment in which he's truly willing to turn this car around? Here are some of the things that he has made a play for. He said he would very much like for this COVID package to be bipartisan. Well, that didn't happen. He said there's no way that he would support the minimum wage going up to $15. And so far, that seems to be something that is uh, uh, happening. And yesterday, he pushed Biden to reverse the revocation of the Keystone XL pipeline lease. By the way, this is also something that the organized labor section of the Democratic Party, the head of the AFL-CIO, said that he was upset with Biden for eliminating union jobs. But how much power does Joe Manchin have actually? We won't know until he puts his foot down. So will Manchin snap? If you want to understand how this 50-50 power-sharing agreement is going to work, that's the only question you need to ask yourself. Friends, thank you, thank you, thank you for being supportive of this little program. Uh, we have come so far... And uh, maybe this is just because I'm, you know, let's let's get a little personal here. I'm I'm at a big um, moment in my life. I've never owned a home before. You know, it was only a few months that uh, my wife and I bought a car together, and 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 now we're gonna buy a home together. And I had to draft a letter because if anyone's bought a home or bought a home in a crazy market, and Austin right now is a crazy market, you, you know you got to write out a letter because it makes your bid stand out. You're not just selling it to a, a faceless numbers. You're selling it to this personal story. And I don't like lying I mean, I'm not gonna not, not gonna write something truly incorrect or fake or false. I like to think of myself as an honest person. You want to make it something that highlights your best side, so so they want to do this deal with you. And so, in the letter, 
I really highlighted what I do for a living. And and to do that, you know, you really kind of have to explain that you guys make everything happen. <laughs> uh, it's crazy for some people to wrap their head around. It's really crazy for, for, for QuickBooks to wrap their head around. I'll tell you what, the, QuickBooks has no idea, no idea how to handle a bunch of, uh, <laughs> they have no idea how to handle a, a bunch of just random payments from PayPal and Venmo. There is no uh, uh, no little quick characterization of a transaction that's just people gave me money on the internet. Because to a random person, it feels like this is just some kind of bizarre phenomenon, some kind of uh, a fluke of the culture, a glitch in our entertainment world. But you and I know better you guys know that the only people who get supported on the internet in this world where everything is free where you have infinite time infinite space and infinite options to tailor your life to the exact entertainment and education that you want in that market, the only thing that gets funded is what you absolutely want to make sure doesn't go away. And that might sound weird to say, but I do believe it to be true. And I believe it to be true so much that you guys are going to help a damn near 38-year-old man buy a home for the first time. I often say thank you to everybody at TakePoliticsSeriously.com, our Patreon. The $3 level, you get the two bonus podcasts each and every week, and we got other stuff that you can take advantage of there. But this time it means a little bit more. You guys are about to make something beautiful happen. And I thank you for it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Our guest today is the senior fellow at the Hugh L. Carey Institute for Government Reform, but more to the point of this interview, the author of the Recall Elections blog. Please, welcome to the show to discuss the history of recalls and whether or not Gavin Newsom will fall victim to one, Joshua Spivak. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Uh, uh, look, I think you are you are going to be a popular guest over the next several months here, especially for media that is in and out of uh, uh, California, because it looks like something that, uh, you know, one of the biggest news stories of the 2000s is again revisiting us here at the dawning of the 2020, uh, the 2020s with the California recall election that is now possible or probable. I guess let's, let's start there before we even get into the history or the machinations. How likely is a recall election of current governor Gavin Newsom? Well, it seems like it's uh, moving into the quite likely stage. Uh, so what California has is arguably the easiest recall law among any state governor. Uh, 12%, what you need is 12% of the signatures of uh, the uh, registered, not uh, of turnout from the last election. So that means it's not so much, 1.5. It's a lot of people, less than 1.5. Other states, though, if you consider it, uh, Wisconsin had 25% to turn out. So that's more than double percentage-wise. The other thing it has is 160 days to collect them. So compared to Wisconsin, again, because they had the Scott Walker recall in 2012, uh, they had 60 days. Uh, beyond that, they were offered another 120 days because of the COVID issue. So yeah. they now have a lot of time. Uh, and California has a, a long history with direct democracy. Uh, we have a 
very established signature gathering industry, mainly thanks to the initiative process. So if you put up enough money, you're getting something on the ballot. That's usually how it works. Yeah. So why should this be different? And, that, and that's something that we've seen uh, You know, in, in California elections. There's always several big money props that are on the ballot. And, and you know, uh, one of the most controversial ones in the last election was the, the, the ride sharing thing. And I don't imagine that California citizens were quite as on fire about the idea of the employment status of ride hailing employees or ride hailing contractors. Uh, uh, but certainly the companies uh, uh, under under force of new legislation had the cash to make sure that the signatures showed up. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, in this case, you know, there's there's money and there's other issues. Uh, the, the big issue that many people that's probably in people's heads is, well, California's this big blue state. It's the democratic now stronghold, even though it wasn't for most of its existence uh, since Bill Clinton, it's moved for, forward to the Democrats and now it's so blue. However, people forget one of the big points. Uh, Donald Trump's best state by total voters in 2020 was California. He got 6 million votes in California. Now he got blown out of the water, lost yeah. by 29%, but he got 6 million votes. So you need 1.5 million signatures, a little over that, because you want some uh, cushion, because some of the signatures are going to be invalidated. So 15, 20. So say you want 10, 2 million signatures. Well, that's one third of that vote. Forgetting Democrats, forgetting independents, forgetting people who didn't vote, just the people who voted for Donald Trump, if one third of them sign, you get this recall on the ballot. And and that kind of belays what you had mentioned about the big blue stronghold. Uh, can you lay out the, the voter registration here in, in California? Because I think inherently people tend to think that things are relatively close because on average in America, they're relatively close. But in California, Republicans are a, a, a far minority party, right? Right. Uh, you know, I'm not sure the, the registration numbers, especially because a lot of voters are independent. But the numbers to think about, perhaps, are uh, the how the vote turned out. So Gray Davis in 2003, he got 44 percent of the vote. Actually, in, in 2002, maybe a better year to put 47 percent of the vote when he won his election that he then got recalled for in 2003. Uh, Gavin Newsom got 62 percent last in 2018. John Kerry won by about 10 percent in 2004. Joe Biden won by 29 percent. So, yeah, this is a you know, it's a very strongly Democratic state. Most the they control every lever of power, essentially the party, because they have all the governor. They the California, the Republicans have won one uh, statewide office insurance commissioner since Schwarzenegger. So let's go back there. Glad you brought up old Arnold because because uh, uh, the best way that we can understand this recall is to understand the last recall. What went into the kindling that eventually became the raging fire that consumed then Governor Gray Davis? So that's a little. Uh, different story, right? There's there's some issues here that are similar. Uh, there was a lot of uh, being upset about one specific subject, namely uh, the electrical problems, the blackouts. Here we have COVID. Uh, that That's a big issue. Uh, Gray Davis wasn't so popular when he was elected. Again, he got only 47% of the vote. And he was seen as sort of playing a little underhanded by trying to push for... Uh, a specific candidate for the um, for his opponent. So instead of the L.A. mayor, he put he kind of helped Bill Simon, who was nowhere much more conservative and nowhere near as popular, win that race in 2002. This maybe didn't work out too well in the end. Uh, so that, there's that. And plus, it was more of a Republican time period. You know, we were in a war footing. George Bush was somewhat popular. I mean, however popular he was, he was certainly more than Donald Trump in the state. Yeah. Uh, so that all of those things maybe played into it. So with with Gavin Newsom, 
Now, you could say it's COVID, though that's not the whole story. Um, since 2018, when the Democrats won quite a number of states, there have been a whole slew of recall attempts against governors. And not most states don't have a recall law against governors. And even that some of them that do, you can't really do it or you, it's pointless to do it. But Colorado, New Jersey, Oregon, um, where else? Uh, Michigan, they tried to recall these different governors yeah. who were Democrats who were elected and they, it failed. They also tried Gavin Newsom. Now, Gavin Newsom, this is the sixth attempt since he was elected in 2018. So... So they have done it every year and they have failed every year until this time, which was aided by the fact that they got extra time because of COVID. And then COVID became this specifically polarizing issue. Exactly. That that's, that's helped it out immensely. Uh, And that also, you know, they, they, perhaps they feel maybe now's a better time to push it. And, uh, again, it, I wouldn't just say it's Republicans. Uh, so COVID has become a big issue for recalls throughout the country, interestingly enough. Uh, usually there's no big overarching issue for uh, recalls. And by recalls, they're rarely a state-level issue. They're usually school boards, mayors, people who got fired for, they fired the city manager, or they fired the police chief. That's what causes recalls. Uh, this year, though, there were 87 attempts over COVID issues, and a lot of them were school board members. Almost none got on the ballot, but that was this, like, really a big issue. People were upset about the schools being shut, and they decided to launch recalls. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the actual verbiage of the recall attempt that are, are is gathering so many signatures now doesn't mention COVID, right? This is this is a, a fairly standard Republican or conservative boilerplate against the Democratic governor of California for taxes and homelessness and stuff, right? Right. They, they never care too much about uh, the language. Uh, you know, that's not, they don't feel, they feel whatever will work. Let's just put in something and let's move forward. Uh, in some states, that is a, a big issue. Uh, Michigan actually changed its laws, so they have a, a factualness requirement. Uh, so that it has to be clarity and factualness, but you could still do it for any reason. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's the big issue, really. The no, big, it's no, the no. big issue to run on. Yeah. But is it the big issue to actually get people to sign? Well, you know, you just tell people here, this is what it's about. We hate this guy. And people aren't necessarily reading the, the actual language of the recall itself. So you've said a couple of times they, that, that they are putting these together. When you say they, who, who exactly are we talking about? Are we talking about Republican donors, money people, just reform advocates, a consortium of all of them? And, and when we look at the national landscape for stuff like this, is it the same people that are doing it state by state? Or, or are they a gathering of, of state and regional versions of the same kind of people? Well, I just uh, I refer to they. I guess I refer to any recall proponents, people okay, who are gotcha. pushing the recall. Okay. Uh, not not any big group. There's uh, no one general, group that's pushing not, it, right? In general, especially on the state level, it is not going to be uh, a big group, a big conservative group that's saying let's get forward, let's get all these recalls on the ballot. It's maybe not worth it to them. Maybe that's not a, a good use of their money. Uh, though we, we have seen in a number of instances that it has been the state party. Uh, so Ken Buck in Colorado was made a very big deal about pushing a recall against Jared Polis, and that didn't work. <laughs> so yeah. uh, uh, so that's that's what's happening here. And there's money going in, and there's money. There's a, one of the billionaires has said that he's putting up a lot of money to get signatures. So that's you know not a surprise that there's – uh, some confidence here. All right, let's let's get some of the the uh, mechanics out of the way. At what point does this recall petition need to have the signatures it it requires? And if that does clear, when would this recall election be? So the recall. So what they need to do is they give in the signatures in March. I think March seventeenth, uh, and then then the. Um, 
the clerks have 30 days, not including uh, weekends and other days off, if there are any in that time, to check the signatures and verify them. And then if they're verified, then you have between 88 and 125 days to schedule the recall. Now, the recall, if it takes, if, it, if that leads near enough to a, or during a general election, it will be on that general election day. Save some money. Uh, yeah. And maybe to make people more likely to vote. Though a 2021 election, maybe people don't care about that. So the recall would overwhelm that easily. So the other, the other factor to include here is generally where there's recalls, there's lawsuits. And so that could delay things. I don't know that there will be, but we've seen it a lot, that there's a lot of lawsuits and sometimes that, that pushes a recall back. So we, we probably have, you know, almost maybe six months, but definitely four, uh, but no, sorry, definitely five. Definitely five. Yeah. But this would happen this year. This would be a 21 thing, not a 22 thing. Probably. Which would be, I mean, yeah. this this would be the circus of all circuses, right? Because there's no other show in town until the off-year elections in 22. This would be a massive national story, right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened in, two, in 03, so why not? Uh, Scott Walker was also the big story, even though it was uh, a presidential election year. Yeah. Uh, but the, the real, the, the big press was on the year before when it was state senators who were facing it. Because maybe because it was 2011 and also after they survived, enough of them survived, maybe there was less of an interest. So, you know, we know what's going to happen next time. So when the recall election happens, let's assume it happens and it happens sometime in the uh, late summer or fall. At that point, California residents will vote yes or no to recall Gavin Newsom and then if they vote yes, they will then choose from an exhaustive list of, you know, certainly triple digits of names as to who the next governor would be, right? Yes, potentially. It depends on how many people sign up. But yes. So they have what I call a one-day, two-step process with that yes or no vote and then uh, the replacement. Other places, so Wisconsin had a new race, essentially. Scott Walker versus, in the end, it turned out to be Tom Barrett, who we beat in 2010. Uh, some places have a vote on one day and then a replacement race another day. Some places have a replacement race where the candidate could run again. You could lose the recall yeah. and then win and replace yourself, which actually happened in Massachusetts a couple of years ago. Uh, just he, he lost the five people running, so why not him? Uh, so that's the, I think the fact that it has this yes or no vote is somewhat of a negative for Scott uh, for Gavin Newsom in that he doesn't have a specific candidate to beat up against. It's always better to have. It's not just me that you're kicking out. You're electing this guy, which you don't have in the situation. Well, because also it's like you're going to be at the mercy of people that turn out for this election and the people that are going to turn out for the election. And, you know, they're they're probably going to be people that are pissed off at you because you know so, right i th i thought this for years this is like one of the great surprises in my life is exactly this i assume that special elections that so most recalls succeed okay i guess i should preface that okay percent of recalls yeah. result in the person being removed and about five to seven percent result in uh a resignation before that so recalls are very successful generally however I thought that the reason was partially because they were on that many of them were on special election days and that they would probably be general election would be better for the candidate because everybody's coming out anyway. Turns out I was wrong. Uh, so the result from checking on the data for 10 years, uh, well, eight years at that time, it's uh, basically a little bit easier to win, to kick somebody out on a general election day than it is on a special election day. 57% uh, people on special elections were kicked out and 64 on general or primary election days were kicked out. So I don't know that it makes so much of a difference. Uh, kind of a surprise, uh, I'll be honest. 
All right, let's get into the people that would replace him, and let's go back to the early aughts. Uh, when did Arnold Schwarzenegger get the the itch to to jump into this race? Who backs him, and how? Who else was on that ballot that kind of got blown away by Arnold's star power? Well, the big guy that got blown away was VLA Mayor Rorden. He was going to be the candidate. He should have, you know, maybe he could, could have taken Davis in 2002. He was much more moderate and he was waiting. And then Schwarzenegger comes out on the Today Show and announces his candidate. And that's it. And then Peter Ubroth got blown out. Uh, the big the other name was Bill Simon, who was the candidate in 2002. He you know, was out. Uh, Ariana Huffington ran and she lost. And obviously, and uh, Lieutenant Governor Cruz Bustamante, he ran as sort of the replacement in case, you know, we're voting for Davis. But if you don't vote for Davis, put me down for the replacement. And that didn't work out either. Well, that um, seems like so crazy. Like, it's just what yeah. a what a loser's bargain. Well, Gary Coleman was in there. Uh, porn star was in there. Mary Carey. Uh, the one name that's really worth thinking about here was Daryl Assay, who's a congressman and yeah. now, once again, a congressman. So he put up the money for the recall, and that's how it got on the ballot. And now we're seeing other people put up the money for the recall, and it didn't go well for him. He wanted to be governor, and that obviously didn't happen. He withdrew in a cheery press conference. You know, so that So putting up the money, that's not going to help you too much, maybe. All right. Well, the, I, I don't. I don't know where. Here, let, let's 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 start with the kind of stations of the cross for why Gavin Newsom finds himself in this situation. As somebody that watches the momentum of this process, was there one tipping point moment that this went from, uh, you know, maybe they're getting extra time to no, this is gaining velocity and it's probably going to hit. You know, I don't know. Uh, the French Laundry, where he had this uh, dinner at the restaurant, that is obviously a very bad scene for him. And, and others doing that, that that just blew up in his face. Uh, so that, if anyone's going to cite one event, that would clearly be at that and the extra 120 days. That's, uh, that's, that, that's that fascinating was- because that issue, I, I didn't really even know because I'm, I'm here in Oakland. I didn't know how much that was really in a a a story. Like it, it, it certainly was a a story of political hypocrisy, and and he handled it extraordinarily poorly. And he tried to cover his tracks, and it was it was ugly for every second that it was there. But you know, I'll tell you what. I guess maybe in in our in our COVID lockdown minds, like that was a real betrayal. It feels like because everybody that I talked to about this. That is front of mind. People remember this this act of of him telling everybody to stay home and not visit their family, but it's okay for him to go to the nicest restaurant in the state and pal around with his lobbyist friends. Yeah, it just uh, it's inexplicable as a political decision, but you see people do this all the time. Uh, you know, some people, obviously, somebody like Trump could get away with something like that easily. Uh, but unless you have that type of backing, you should not expect to do that. Uh, so it's it's interesting that he he's got so crushed with it. But that being said, he's still well ahead, I would think. He, so the polls are saying 46 percent, 52 percent are in favor. But maybe that's not the stat that counts. Uh, the stat that counts may be more who's opposed to him. Yeah, And that's about 36%. And if you look at how he polled last time, you'll see he, he did better than the polls. And But the the vote against him, that seemed kind of stable. So is that going to be repeated? Possibly. You know, that's that's something that you would have to wonder. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do wonder. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very, very curious right. about this because I... I, I I don't know if the well I mean I, I guess I'll, I'll put it this way 
no matter what, anybody who is in charge during a pandemic is not going to be showing their best self. Uh, they, they, people are going to be annoyed. People are going to be upset. People are going to be uh, furious. I would wonder, and I bet you this is what Gavin is is hoping for, is that as 2021 moves on and vaccines become a more hot topic than infections and things kind of open up, like like maybe some of these, the, the, the angriest feelings fade, but at the same time, the, the, the thing that was the straw that broke the camel's back to me and really made me think that this was going to happen was when he pulls out of the lockdowns fairly inexplicably. And that was when I didn't just see the California conservative people in my Twitter timeline furious at him because they've been that forever. It was all the L.A. liberals that were pissed off. It was all the Bay Area liberals that were pissed off about that. And it's like that to me was the 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 recipe for like no this this guy he's knocking pillars off of his off of his stool by the day right but so then the question is will people forget especially if the the lockdown if it, especially if it comes a distant memory uh the other thing is exactly the liberals are upset now and there's been some stories about democrats being upset at him but what will happen if there's an actual race will they coalesce around him i would assume they would do they want another whoever the next governor is? Or do they want Gavin Newsom? Maybe even a little humble Gavin Newsom. Maybe that's better for them. Uh, yeah, we're, we're not thrilled, but we're supporting you. That always helps interest groups. So, you know, I don't know that how that will end up playing, but I, I kind of suspect that as opposed to last time when you had Schwarzenegger, this time it would not be Schwarzenegger who would be the replacement. Maybe you wouldn't be so happy with that guy. Poor girl. So let's let's let, let's look at it this way. Uh, for Gavin, he is at the end of his term, right? He's up in twenty twenty two. Yes. Uh, would he be able to? He's not termed out, right? He would. He would normally no, be. Term. This is his first term. Yeah. So he would. He would be looking to run for reelection in twenty twenty two. Is 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 part of this? Like, all right. Well, you want to know what? Let's say he gets taken out. He's probably still going to run in 2022. Well, then maybe it's a little difficult. However, that is a good point about the impact of the recall. So there have been a number, a lot of recalls over the years of different people. Some of them have been recalled twice. This has happened because uh, they've been elected that much. And some people have actually benefited from the recall. Uh, notably, Diane Feinstein, she faced a recall when she was mayor of, Cal of San Francisco in 83, she leaned into it, was not upset at all, and got 88% of the vote. And suddenly she is a rising star, and she is being discussed as VP by Matt Mondale. And by 90, she's the Democratic nominee for governor. By 92, she's senator. Uh, the, one, the first governor to be removed was a guy named Lynn Frazier in North Dakota, 1921, kicked out of office. 1922, start of three terms in the Senate. So you could do that. So there is there is a uh, way to turn it to your advantage. You can make this a big rallying point to, for your cause. Yeah, yeah. And so for Gavin Newsom, does this, could this help him out? All eyes are on California, say, uh, as we might expect, that this suddenly becomes a circus. And he does well in this race. He's not weakened. He's strengthened. He is looked at as, you know, what else do you got here? Uh, maybe this is a guy we should be thinking for the national ticket next time. All right. One last thing, and that's about who would replace him. Arnold Schwarzenegger obviously had star power, but the notion of celebrity is very different in 2021 than it was in the early aughts. Uh, we, we've seen some hats in the ring. Uh, in fact, we already got our, our first kind of hokey pokey one foot in, one foot out with, with uh, uh, Chamath Palihapitiya, the tech billionaire who said he was running and then today said he was not going to run, uh, but he has helped finance this effort. Uh, are there any names that are already in this game? Uh, uh, and do you think that a social media influencer or, or something along those lines could really play an outsized role in this. 
I've actually been thinking along the same lines, and I've been telling people this, that, you know, it's very interesting that our our situation has changed. Our cultural situation is completely different than it once was. Is there anyone in the country who's like Arnold Schwarzenegger was back then, or Sylvester Stallone, or others? You know, I go into a grocery a supermarket, and, you know, you see the, the gossip columns, and I don't know any of the names, and I don't know and half the people I see that pop up as a name when I, I'm online. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, maybe it's that I'm old, but that doesn't really exist that we have an actor or actress or, or a celebrity who's really broadly popular without any big negatives that could pull people together. I can't think of one person in the country like that. Um, so that's a negative for any other candidate. Right now they're talking about the former San Diego mayor, Kevin Falconer, and he's, uh, maybe I got his name mispronounced. Yeah, it's uh, fine. He, you know, he was a uh, San Diego mayor and that was, he was the, the mayor, the, the Republican, the only Republican mayor of any city of uh, over a million in the country. So I don't know. Is that really setting anyone on fire? I, I don't know. It, 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 it just seems like, like the California GOP are basically the Washington generals. Like they, they serve to lose because they're, they're, they're running uphill uh, with, with the, the voter registration disadvantage and i i to me it's like i i would i would bet on a like you know a, a dave rubin or a mike cernovich or some some republican or conservative twitter firebrand and a social media firebrand before i would bet on an established california republican politician because one of them is kind of exciting and new and the other is just this brand that has nothing but losses on its resume. Well, I, yeah, I, I can't think of a person who, outside of maybe an influencer, there's not too many people in, in Hollywood or even in the music world that you'd think, oh, that's a guy everybody's going to rally around. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty strange that, yeah, that's probably the best hope that somebody who's one of those types, you know, let's say uh, Kevin McCarthy decided to give up DC for, to try to run if that would do anything. I can't imagine that that would move the needle too much. No, uh, so it's, no. it's really an interesting thing. And it's part of where we are as a culture compared to where we were in 2003. Uh, that that's a different, it's a totally different world. It is, it is. And it's going to be fascinating to watch because uh, if, and when it does actually happen, uh, like, like we've said, this is going to be, the biggest story in politics, full stop. And you can follow along with it beyond this interview uh, at the Recall Elections blog, which you were telling me before and has been has been called the wonkiest place on the Internet, the wonkiest site on the Internet. I was called the wonk of wonks. The wonk of wonks. <laughs> I so. love it. I love it. Uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, Joshua Spivak is the senior fellow of the Hugh L. Carey Institute for Government Reform at Wagner College. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I might have to call you back a few more times uh, as this process winds through because uh, uh, it is it is going to be fascinating to watch it play out. Great. Sure. Thanks. Love to be on again. All right. Well, uh, have, have a good day. You too. Thanks a lot. And that is going to wrap it up for us today. I want to thank each and every person who is listening to this. And I, I want to encourage you that if you enjoyed that interview, please support the show for free on social media by uh, tweeting at Recall elections, just the way spelled, just the way that it that, that it sounds. At recall elections, that is uh, uh, Joshua's Twitter account, and just let him know that uh, you really enjoyed what you heard here on the politics, politics, politics program. Uh, uh, that's that's going to be something really fascinating. I am uh, I, I am I am really 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 
looking forward to uh, you know seeing those thresholds get crossed or to see if the thresholds will get crossed. A reminder that you can always email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. A big mailbag episode coming up on Friday, as per usual. You can get our Twitter account, at px3tweets. Get on our Twitch, px3live.com. Our newsletter is at px3newsletter.com. And, of course, you can share this podcast with your friends at px3podcast.com. If you would like to support us, of course, you can head on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. You can always hit me up with a one-time donation on PayPal at paypal.me slash payjury. Or, if you enjoy this show... You can be one of our Venmo dollar people. I don't know why. It just delights me. And you guys seem to really enjoy uh, uh, sending me a dollar on Venmo when you like the show. Venmo is not real money. It is a number inside your phone. If you would like to give me one of the numbers inside your phone, you can absolutely do it. Uh, a shout out to Ryan, who gave me uh, $3.14 saying that he was going to buy me some pie. <laughs> uh, 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 Weston, Melissa, and Dwight also paid me uh, a, a dollar. If you want to give me a dollar on Venmo, oh man, it's super easy. Justin-Young-20. And also, you can send me anything you want to my P.O. Box. P.O. Box 10853, Oakland, California. Nine four six one zero. Of course, we would not be able to wrap up a show unless we talked about our Titanic $10 tier, including I Love You TNT, Dr. G, The Gen, Kathy Mack, Headphones Neil, Onward to Georgia, Captain Bunzo, Jay Sulu, Dallas Danger Taylor, Middle Aged Mike, but what happened to Tex? Get a bucket and a mop. Cujo, Idris, Jacob Wilson. Berkeley Steven, Justin Egan, Dotcom Junkie, Diana Sunny Smiles, Tempest Fugit, Jason with Magnolia Delta Credit Card Processing, D Laser, Hashtagus, Tally, The 100 Mile Runner, Government Unfiltered, Alec, Jerry, Andres, Neil, Archie, Darren, Paul, David, Olin and Angel, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Miranda Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, David, Brad, Richard, D. Laser, Chris, just another pilot, middle aged Mike, Scale, Jim, Jen, D. Really, Frozen Summer, J. Pink, and Andrew. If you want to join their ranks, head on over to Take Politics Seriously. Dot com. Late breaking news as we are wrapping up recording here. Uh, Jen Psaki, the press secretary for Joe Biden, tweeting out a clarification of something that was misinterpreted earlier in the day. Uh, we will quote Jen directly. In addition to sharing a commitment on a range of issues with Gavin Newsom, from addressing the climate crisis to getting the pandemic under control, POTUS clearly opposes any effort to recall... Gavin Newsom. That came after she said, I have not spoken with the president about the uh, recall, I should say, or the efforts to recall Gavin Newsom. Obviously, he's somebody who has been engaged with in the past. So it was kind of a non-committal answer uh, that scares a clarification of uh, uh, Joe Biden's opposition to a recall to Gavin Newsom. Obviously, it would have been a major upset if Joe Biden was like, yeah, no, get that guy out of there. Considering that Gavin Newsom is a rising star, should be a rising star. We'll see. All right. That about wraps it up for us today from slightly chilly Austin, Texas. This is your boy Justin Robert Young saying... Uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this, this is the only show that dares talk about her three. three.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.